This is our God. This is who he is. He loves us. Did you hear that? I don't know if I've ever sang that before, and I can't wait to sing it again in a little bit. This is our God. This is what he does. He saves us. Man, it is good to be with you. It is good to be together. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. I hope you got your Bible ready. I'll tell you where to turn in a moment. And uh, we've gotten to the port part of the morning where we, uh, we worship through time in God's Word. When we gather together as, as God's people on Sunday mornings, we want it to be all about Him and not about us. We want to worship in many ways. We want to worship as we lift our prayers. We want to worship as we give our gifts. We want to worship as we sing our songs. And I'm not just talking about those of you that know that you feel like you sing well. I'm talking about me too. And we worship and as we go to the Word as well. So we'll do that here in a moment. I got this. I can do this. Leave me alone. Let me be. I got it under control. I don't answer to nobody. Do we relate to any of this? Do we act like this sometimes, whether you'd like to admit it or not? I don't, I don't answer to anybody. There's no nobody, no thing ruling over me. What does it bring to your mind when I say to you that you have a master? Or that you need a master? What kind of feelings bubble up? What's your initial reaction to you need a master. Is there an initial little resistance? Does it bubble up inside of us because we're not sure? I don't know if I like that term. Do we bristle at having, uh, do we bristle at the idea of having a master? When we think of having something rule over us. I mean, think about what we value or maybe what our culture values, independence, autonomy, freedom. These things are so highly valued, but are they cultural values or are they biblical values? These things, autonomy, independence, freedom, these things are so highly valued and we think that that's what we are to pursue. And I just wanna ask the question this morning and maybe push back a little bit and get us thinking, are these Values that, that we have decided are important or our culture has decided is important or are these the values of the kingdom of God? And plus, we know, I hope we know, if you're a follower of Jesus and you are confronted by God's word and the Holy Spirit convicts you, I hope you know that as, fo as followers of Jesus, while we are saved, while we are forgiven of sin, we still fall short, we still go our own way. We know that our sin nature uh, leads us toward rebelliousness, doing our own thing, going our own way. We know that our sin nature uh, causes us to feel like we are self-sufficient. I got this. I can do this. Leave me alone. I can manage my business. I don't need a master. I'm my own master. Really? Or do we puff ourselves up and try to convince ourselves that we're master of our own domain, but maybe our lives really tell a different story? Maybe our words and actions tell a different story of 
who or what masters us. Grab your Bible and open with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in a moment at verse 19. Love you to have your Bible on your lap and open it and keep your finger in the word. Keep our finger in the text so that we are hearing from God through his word. Uh, Certainly, if you have a device with a Bible app, that'll work too. Find your way to the Gospel of Matthew at the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the story of Jesus' life. And we are in Matthew 6 as we are in a series of messages that we've entitled Kingdom Life. And this series of messages is taking us uh, passage by passage through some of the most famous teaching of Jesus that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 record some of this incredible teaching from the Lord himself, from the Son of God himself, from our rescuer Jesus. Um, Our Kingdom Life series is taking us passage by passage through the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but submitting ourselves to God by submitting ourselves to Jesus' teaching can be a bit painful at times. In this series, Jesus goes after topic after topic that is, is relevant to our life and things that we go through and things that we think we know how to handle. And Jesus' way is often different than our way. And so as we submit ourselves to God by submitting ourselves to his word, it can be a little painful. But I'm going to ask you, let's ask God by his spirit through his word to cross-examine our hearts through his word. I got this. I can do this. I'm my own master. Maybe submitted to God's word for cross-examination. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. I'm going to read the entire passage that we'll cover, and then we'll walk back through it uh, and highlight some pieces of it. Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light in, and, and then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So let me tell you for a minute about this past week or so that I've had. Um, this past week or so, is, as usual, is a roller coaster of life and has joys and blessings and has difficulties and pains and stresses. Uh, some of them are ongoing and some are new. But just in particular, um, some of what this earthly life has had for me, for us, the last week or so. Uh, if you don't know, we are a family of six. Uh, out of the six of us so far, there are five drivers By the grace of God, with five drivers and an active schedule, by the grace of God, we have four used vehicles, 
three of which are Toyota, which are known for their reliability. Keep that in the back of your mind for the rest of the story. So by the grace of God, we have a family of six, five drivers. I'm thankful and blessed that we have four vehicles. Uh, but uh, as of now, or as of a week ago, we had two with the check engine light on. So I took one of them to the shop where it is currently still after a few days and where I will be forking over thousands of dollars early next week to get my car back. And then while that car is still in the shop, a third check engine light came on yesterday. Now, this is not, this is not a poor me story, okay? First of all, it's not a poor me story. It's not about God. It's not about me. It's about God, and God will provide. Okay, that's, but you'll see where I'm going with this. Six people, five drivers, four cars, three check engine lights. Here's where I'm going with this. What's my point here? Can you relate it all, first of all, to sometimes the turns that life takes? And then if the, when life takes turns like that, what could that bring up here for me or for you? How, how, what are the, some of the feelings? Go ahead. Frustration, anger, anxiety, stress. These are some of the things that could bubble up as a result, right? In my heart and in my mind, trying to grapple, trying to come to grips, trying to solve. And then, of course, because God is God, while these are the circumstances of my earthly life simultaneous to that, what passage of Scripture does God have me preparing to teach? The passage we just read, the passage that, that, the, that says that we as Jesus followers are to choose a master, and our master will either be God or money. That's the passage God had me preparing to teach. And the next passage, here's a little sneak preview for next Sunday, the next passage that comes up has this challenge for us. This week, it's choose your master. God or money. Next week, it's how do you approach life following Jesus? With worry or with faith? Ouch. If we had to summarize the, the, some of the key ideas, today's passage and next Sunday's passage, here it is on the screen. Discipleship to Jesus, meaning being followers of Jesus, being discipled to him, being yoked to him so that he can transform us, so that he can do what he wants, so that he can have his way in our life. Discipleship to Jesus will transform us to be the kind of person that lives by faith instead of being dominated by worry. And as our passage today says, and, and it'll transform us into the kind of people that do not trust in money, but in Jesus as master. So let's go back to our passage, chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure. How many have heard this before? Some of you have heard this 19 before, okay? If you haven't, that's fine. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And we could go, we could have our logic brain going and we could go, yeah, obviously. Sounds good. I won't store up treasures on earth where, the, where they're going to get messed up. But we do. Don't we? But we do. And, you know, and one of the reasons I think we do is it feels like this is all there is. Earthly life is all-consuming. Earthly life is overwhelming. 
You've got a lot on your plate. I've got a lot of plates I'm spinning, so to speak. This is what we see. This is who we interact with. This is the roller coaster we ride. These are the check engine lights that pop on. And so our focus is there. I think one of the reasons we store up treasures for ourselves is because it feels like this is all there is. It's all consuming. And so our focus is in the now. And if we live in the now, if we live only in the now, then I got to figure it out. I got to find a solution. I got to solve the problem. I got to provide for myself. I've got to provide for my family. And so quickly we become ruled by stuff. We become ruled by, by things. We become ruled by money because we are trying to work it all out and, and have what we need and provide what we can. And then, oh, by the way, we might define some things that are really wants as needs. And now we really feel behind. Right? But what does this passage, what does verse 19 tell us? Verse 19 tells us that the stuff we think is so valuable, our material possessions that we think are so valuable, what does verse 19 tell us about them? That they are subject to decay. That they get used up. That over time, they diminish in value like my Toyota Tundra. And I like my Tundra. I don't like it right now where it's sitting in the shop. It's, it's diminishing in value. So then, of course, 20, verse 20 gives us the contrast. If we're not supposed to lay up for ourselves treasure on earth, what do we do? Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 20, verse 19 and 20 kind of contrasted to each other tell us something. It tells us that in our life, as we follow Jesus, we have opportunities here, church family, to choose between activities that are investing in earthly values and earthly things, or we can choose to invest our time and energy into heavenly things, things that matter. Life brings us opportunities to choose between activities that lead to greater earthly reward, money, power, we think prestige. Life brings opportunities to choose between activities that lead to greater earthly reward, and life brings opportunities to choose to, to invest in things that bring future reward, heavenly reward, reward that matters. So hopefully what we're asking ourselves or hopefully what we're wondering is, okay, well then how do I store up treasure in heaven? What does that look like? What does it mean, to, you know, what, what am I treasuring? And how do I make sure that I'm less treasuring earthly and more treasuring the values of God and, and the things of heaven? We're going to talk about that a little bit more specifically later, but let's keep going. I think verse 21 really gets kind of to the, Heart of the matter. That was really unintended, but bad. Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But, but really, this verse is, is something we want to chew on. The heart, uh, when the Bible... So verse 21 says, Where your treasure is, where you invest, where you put your time, energy, money, that's going to show where your heart is. 
It's going to show what the condition of your heart is. It's going to say something about your heart and what matters. And when the Bible refers to the word, when the Bible uses the word heart, it's not simply referring to the blood pumping organ here in the chest. When the Bible uses the term heart, it's talking about kind of the center of one's being, of one's person. It includes everything like emotions and desires and reason and will. Um, I heard a Christian uh, speaker recently refer to the heart as the steering wheel or the directional system, the guidance system. It, it, our heart is the center of our person, of our, of our will and our reason. And so, it, so what, what's steering us? What, 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 we, what we see in the heart, what we know about the heart is what is guiding our behavior, is steering our life, is motivating our words and our behavior. So we need to take stock. Take a moment. If you haven't already, this, this message from God's word should stir up in us some questions about our priorities and our values and where we spend our time and our money. So if we consider this, if we evaluate, <clears throat> excuse me, if we evaluate what we value most, what, do our, what does our life indicate that we value most? Where does our time spent indicate what we value most? Where does our money spent indicate what our values are? Are, are we valuing mostly earthly things or are we valuing heavenly things? Kingdom of one, kingdom of self things, or kingdom of God things. Because if we evaluate what we value most, we're getting a gauge on the condition of our heart. What, what we value most, what we see our time and our money going toward, is revealing something to us about our heart. And as we understand about our heart, we should wonder, is the focus of my heart just in the here and now? Or, or is there an eternal perspective for what God is doing in the world? Is it, does the condition of my heart indicate that I'm only focused on self? What's good for Derek? What's convenient and comfortable for me? Or does the condition of my heart indicate um, a focus on the Lord? As master. So, what we store up in life, where we store up, where we invest, it describes your heart. And what does your heart reveal about who or what your master is? Where you treasure. Where you treasure, where you store up, describes the condition of your heart. And what does the condition of your heart reveal about what or who your master is? Paul David Tripp, an author, teacher, pastor, has this quote on the screen. We are always in, you know, you've heard me using this language, and I've, this is where, why I've been using this language, as I've been quoting Paul Tripp. We are always in pursuit of and in service to some kind of kingdom. 
We are either living in allegiance to the king of kings, celebrating our welcome into his kingdom of glory and grace, or we are anointing ourselves as kings and working to set up our own little kingdom of one. Where we store up describes the condition of our heart. The condition of our heart tells us what is true about what or who our master is. We're going to skip down to verse 24 now. Back to our passage, chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There's, there's no divided loyalties here. If, if we have a master in our life, and, and we will, and we do and will and should, there is no divided loyalties here. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And so certainly in this passage, the, the, the contrast here, the thing that it's asking us to evaluate is our tendency toward materialism, toward accumulating stuff, toward having things and money as an idol in our life. What does it mean for something to be an idol in our life? Of course, if something becomes an idol in our life, it means that it is taking the place of God. It is, it is dethroning God in our life. We've put something else, this idol, on the throne of our life that should only be God's place. So, so in, in many ways, the ideas of this passage and some of the challenges that we're wrestling with right now as we study God's word, we could apply this to any number of idols in our life. Anything that you put on the throne of your life where God should be, anything you replace God with that, you, that is an idol in your life, we need, to, we, need to, we need to do some reflecting and considering who's our master, have we put something where God should be and made it our master instead of Jesus, our master? And, and, but of course, in specific, in this passage, in this context, the idol that's being evaluated is money, materialism, holding things and stuff to be more important than it is. Why do we accumulate? So, so why do we have this tendency why do we tend to accumulate treasure on earth? What are we hoping for? I mean, I hope you can, I hope you can put yourself here in, in this for a minute and think about, I know, I know we all kind of know we can't put money as an idol. I know we kind of know that money shouldn't be our master. And, but, but what does our spending and what does our time investments sometimes say otherwise? Um, why do we accumulate treasure on earth? Why are we storing up stuff? Are we hoping that there will be a sense of security? If I have enough stuff, I'll be secure. Life will be safe. Are, are we, and is that where our ultimate security should come from? Do we store up treasure on earth so that it gives us sort of a personal sense of value or worth? If I have that certain thing, right? That certain status brand, that certain keep up with the Joneses technology, whatever it is, um, is there, is there, am I gaining a kind of a personal sense of worth from that thing, 
stuff, material? And is that where I get my personal sense of worth? Or should it be? Why do we accumulate treasure on earth? Are we looking for power, control? Oftentimes wealth comes with this perceived impression of power or ability to do what we want or to set our own terms and to provide for ourselves and to be independent and all those things. But is, again, are these cultural values or are these biblical values? Why do we store up treasures on earth? Are we hoping it'll make us independent? Or do we actually, are we actually made for dependence on God? Why do we accumulate treasures on earth? Are we hoping that they will bring us pleasure, that, that all this stuff will somehow bring us joy? And then, of course, you know, I don't have to go much further, but to ask, yeah, there's probably some temporary fun and joy and pleasure to be had from the accumulation of stuff, but diminish in value, diminish in value, diminish in value. Does it really matter in the long run? A couple of scriptures uh, came up in my studies this week. Here's Psalm 49 on the screen. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. What phrase does that remind you of? You can't take it with you. And that reminded me of uh, when Job says this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. I didn't bring anything into this world and I can't take anything with me out of it. That previous verse, the Psalm reminds us that we can't take us with it. We can't take all this stuff that we're accumulating with us. And throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, in so many places in Scripture, God reminds us, church family, that this is not all there is. Should I repeat that? Through, I should, because we live like this is all there is because this stresses us out, because this takes all of our focus, because this is a roller coaster where we invest our time and energy, but the scriptures are clear in so many places that this earthly life is not all there is. Are we on the same page? That's important to see what God has for us in this scripture. So if this is not all there is, what, what, what do we need to know from the word? What do we know in the story of God from front to back in your Bible, the story that God has a rescue plan to, to create for himself a people for his glory. If this, is not, if this earthly life is not all there is, what do we need to know? That we are eternal beings. That you are created in the image of God. That you are created to live and you, you are created to and will live eternal. You are an eternal being made for eternity. So instead of treasuring just the here and now, right? Instead of getting so wrapped up in just the here and now in our circumstances and needing to accumulate stuff so I can take care of myself, so I can provide for it, we can instead by grace, live with a view of eternity in, in Christ as we recognize who we are as created beings, as his kids, as, as made to live with him eternally. May that lift our eyes out of the sole focus of this world. May we be less distracted by, by all that we think this is, and this must be it, and this gonna, it feels like this lasts forever, but it doesn't last forever. We're just a whisper, right? 
in the grand scheme of God's eternity that we are made for. By grace, we can live with eternity in view. You cannot serve. The passage says, our our scripture passage this morning says, you cannot serve God and money. There's no divided loyalties. You're, you're, You're slave to one or the other. You have this master or the other. You, you have this idol in your life that's a master over you, or we submit ourselves to Jesus as master and king and Lord and savior. You cannot serve God and money. Now, we, we need to just, just for a minute or two, this doesn't mean that money is all bad. Okay? You cannot serve both God and money. You can't, you, the Bible is warning us very strongly here about having money, materialism, stuff, be our idol that pushes God off the throne of being the master of our life. But that doesn't mean that money is entirely bad. It doesn't mean a couple of extremes. We, we could take some of these passages and we could go to an extreme, right? Let's avoid these extremes. It, um, the fact that we need to be careful of not allowing money to be our master over our heart does not mean that we need to abandon or deny ourselves of every material thing. Did you track with me on that? It doesn't mean we need to deny ourselves of all physical material things. That's an extreme that's not, that's not being taught here. Let's also avoid this extreme. Um, just because we need to make sure that money is not an idol, is not our master, doesn't mean that we can't plan for the future. And, don't, and, and just because we plan for the future, it doesn't mean you lack faith. I think we got to be careful to, to guilt people into thinking that, well, you're storing up money and you're making these plans and you must not have any faith that God will provide. That's, that's an extreme. That's an overreach. That's not the heart of this passage. So just because we need to make sure that money is not an idol, that money is not master over us, that money doesn't take the place of God in our lives, doesn't mean there aren't some practical uses for money. In fact, the Bible, of course, in, in various places teaches some ways in which money can be utilized in a biblical way. And I can think of at least three that we'll list here really quickly. Here are three biblical ways that the, you know, th- ways the Bible teaches how our money and our wealth can, be, can and should be utilized. So again, money's not all bad. God wants to use it for its appropriate pers- uh, uh, reasons in our life, but not have it dominate and take over our life and become an idol and become our master. Okay, so here at least I can think of at least three. And this is adapted from one of my study resources. These are not even all my own words. I'm adapting from one of my study resources. These three biblical uses for money. One, we can use money to care for your family, to provide for needs, to prevent yourself or your family from becoming a burden to others. That is a noble biblical task and use for um, our material belongings. Number two. Uh, Another biblical use for money, helping those who are in need. We had a a message from God's word just a few weeks ago teaching us the significance of giving, uh, of not giving of our resources to draw attention to ourselves and, oh, look at me, I give so much money, but, but giving as a way of being generous, as God is generous to us, we are generous to others. And so just a few weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount, we had a sermon, a message about giving to those in need. 
providing for the needs of the disenfranchised and the hurting and the broken and the, um, and the disabled and, and the hurting and the children and the orphan and the widow. And the Bible is so clear about opportunities for our, our money to be useful in those ways. And number three, we talk about this hopefully plenty often. God certainly can work in and through our material wealth for the encouragement and support of what he is doing in the world to spread the good news of Jesus, the gospel good news that Jesus lived and died and rose again. And because of him, we too can live. Because of Jesus, we have been saved from sin and death and brought into his family and made right with God and given life eternal and a meaningful life now. And we can invest our material wealth in making sure that that message doesn't just stop here at Faith Church, but it goes throughout Dallas and Oregon and the United States and the globe because people need Jesus. And if he gives you stuff and money, you got good things to do with it. But the heart of the passage, so we, we took just a minute or two there to, to make sure we know that it, the money's not all bad. And in fact, there are biblical ways to utilize our resources for his glory. But in terms of this passage of scripture, this teaching today, what is the heart of it? It's that instead of us choosing money as our master, instead of you and I being enslaved to material things, uh, being enslaved to the pursuit of more stuff, to being enslaved to stacking up our, our storing up our treasures, instead of choosing money as master, the heart of the passage, the point of God's word this morning is to urge you and I to submit ourselves to Jesus as master. Don't let that word cause you to bristle. Don't let autonomy and self-sufficiency and freedom and independence so drive your value system that you can't recognize that I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus. I need a master. I am not my own master. If I'm my own master, I'm in trouble. The value is diminishing rapidly if left to myself. That's the heart of the passage, that, that with Jesus as master, we will be transformed. That he doesn't, not only does he forgive our sin and rescue us from sin and death and save us from, from eternal separation from him and bring us into eternal life with him, not only that, but, but Jesus, with Jesus as master, he is transforming us and making us more and more like his son, transforming us from the inside out, helping us to obey, enabling us to live out the ways of Jesus helping us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God and not as citizens of the kingdom of one. This is the work that Jesus wants to do in us. He wants to help us with Jesus as master. He wants us to be ambassadors for him. Not just on our own efforts that, oh shoot, how do I do that? I don't know if I can represent Jesus out there. He lives in you. He is enabling you and empowering you to live your life and all that you do in your words and actions to be an ambassador for Jesus, a conduit of God's love poured out to us, overflowing out of us to the world around us that so desperately needs us. God, with Jesus as our master, he is empowering and enabling you to live for him, to be his ambassador, to be a conduit of his love, to be a proclaimer of the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness and into the light. Surrender. 
Submit. Make him master. Make Jesus master. Not just once, back when you first became a follower of Jesus. Make him master every day. So how do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? If the passage is urging us away from the idolatry of materialism to making Jesus our master, and the passage is urging us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, let's just think for a minute about that. Um, First of all, we find ourselves right in the text of the Sermon on the Mount. So when Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he might very well be thinking of the acts of righteousness that we just taught on a couple of passages back. Those acts of righteousness of giving, prayer, fasting. Those are the kind of things that Jesus just taught on previously in the Sermon on the Mount. And now he's saying, hey, don't waste your time investing in things that are going to decay and diminish and be used up and go away. Use your life and your money to invest your time and energy and money in things that matter and that don't decay and that won't be stolen. Things like drawing near to God and being changed by God, and being used by God for his purposes. So he might be referring to what he just spoke about a few minutes ago in the Sermon on the Mount, like giving and prayer and fasting. He, he might also just be calling you to obedience in general. There's so much of God's word that has, um, that has commands of God for us to obey, but certainly they could be summed up in the great commandment and the great commission, to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love of your neighbor as yourself, and to go and make disciples. Help other people meet and follow Jesus. So when he says store up treasure in heaven, instead of investing in those things that, do, that, that, that decay and diminish in value, I can invest my life in these things that matter, like loving God, loving others, and helping other people meet Jesus. And when I think of um, where we could invest our time, how we could lay up treasure in heaven, I also think of how we've spoken in the past of um, putting ourselves in hallways, this is a, you know, a, a picture, a metaphor, putting ourselves in hallways where the Holy Spirit is active. And we don't have time to go into this like I've done some before, but where we think of from Scripture, hallways, places where the Holy Spirit is active, those are places we want to put ourselves so that we can be increasingly aware of the Holy Spirit's activity in our life so that we can learn to submit to the Holy Spirit so that we can live out the ways of Jesus. And where do we see the Holy Spirit active? We know that the Spirit of God was active in writing the scriptures. And so when we put ourselves in God's word, we put ourselves in a hallway where the Holy Spirit is active. Are you, is that, are you tracking with me? And another hallway where the Spirit is active is uh, prayer. We know from God's word that when we pray, that the Spirit helps us communicate with the Father. And so when we go to him in prayer, we're putting ourselves in a hallway where the Holy Spirit is active. And I think these are ways that we are storing up treasure in heaven as we draw near to God. Another place where we see the Holy Spirit is active is in fellowship with other believers. Because here we are as followers of Jesus, each of us, the spirit living within us. And when we gather, whether in this large group or in groups of Christians, we have the spirit is, is with us. We don't have to ask him to be there. The spirit of God is with us. We're in a hallway where the spirit is active. And then, of course, we also think of serving. The Bible is clear that when we serve others, when we specifically, when we use our spiritual gifts 
the Holy Spirit is at work. You, follower of Jesus, are uniquely made in the image of God and you have a unique personality and unique strengths and specific spiritual gift or gifts that are yours to contribute to the church family. Any of you, how many of you, my wife is a puzzler, loves putting puzzles together. Any other puzzlers? Okay. And even if you're not a puzzler, even if you're not a puzzler, you can, you can answer this. You work hard, you put this puzzle together, 57 billion pieces, and, and, and you get them all together, and you're looking at this picture, and it's looking glorious, and then there's what? There's a missing piece. The Bible calls the church, the, the believers, the people of God, the body of Christ. And the Bible teaches that just like the human body, every part of the body is critical to the overall health of the body. That one piece out of 57 billion pieces that that puzzle was might seem insignificant, but doesn't it look stupid at the end with one piece missing? That piece is critical and needed. There's a contribution that that, that, that piece of the puzzle has to make to, to the greater picture of the puzzle. There's a significance to my earlobe, even though it's too big and I wish it was different. There's significance to this one part to the overall health and function of my body. And as we serve, as we use our spiritual gifts, we put ourselves in hallways where the Holy Spirit is active. And I think we are storing up treasure in heaven. And so... I just, I do want to take the, a minute to say, where's your place? Which piece of the puzzle are you? We have, um, we have cards in the back of your seat there that get disorganized and fall out on the floor and get written on and need replacing. We just need some people to love and serve their church family by coming in here once in a while and making the seat backs look nice. We have a growing church family with young families showing up, with babies that need to be held and toddlers that need to be played with and elementary school kids that would love an adult helper to be with them in, in children's time. We have, uh, every few weeks we celebrate what God is doing in our church family through sharing the Lord's Supper and there's tables out here with crackers and bread and juice and we just need people to prepare the Lord's Supper, set up and tear down, to put out the elements so that we can remember the body and blood of Christ every few weeks. There's a, speaking of the seatbacks, one of the pieces of paper in your seatback is a list of places where uh, perhaps God might want you to serve. And that list is long, but that list doesn't even touch it. The options. The options of where you are needed in your church family or in our community are, are way longer than that piece of paper. They're for men, they're for women, they're for the young, they're for the not so young. <laughs> Everybody has a, has a piece of the puzzle and I'd love you to take that piece of paper if you want and look it over at some point and prayerfully ask the Lord if you have a, a part in the body, if you have a piece of the puzzle where he wants you to serve. And I just wanna say one more thing about that. I'm not really, I'm not asking, if you're brand new to our church or relatively new to this church family, we're not asking you to jump on that right away. Make sure this is your church family. 
Make sure this is where you are wanting, where God wants you to be, and, and then be, jump in and be part of serving, you know, as soon as you're able to. And I'm also not talking about, some of you are going to reach for that thing and that list and look at where you could serve, and you're already on three different teams, and you're already the one our staff thinks of first and calls whenever we need something. I don't know if, I don't really want you to fill it out either. All right, I'm done. Well, I'm done with that. The scripture this morning says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus calls his followers to choose their master. Church family, faith church family this morning, who will be your master? We talked about us being created for eternity. We talked about this, this, this book in our laps teaching us this, the grand story of God's work in the world from front to back. It is a story of God redeeming a people for himself so that he gets the glory and so that he can work in us and through us so that other people can meet and follow Jesus. So church family, we were created to be connected to something vastly bigger than us. You were created by God to be connected to his family and be part of something so much bigger than us. So instead of enslaving ourselves to money, instead of enslaving ourselves to adding up our stuff and accumulating and storing up, instead of enslaving ourselves to money and hoping that our little kingdom of one will be secure and I can take care of myself and I can be independent and you can leave me alone. Instead of that, church family, let's submit to Jesus as master and king. And when we get to go back to lifting our voices in a, in a minute and we have the opportunity to proclaim Jesus as king, think in your mind, master, that I need a master. And as we submit to Jesus as king, and master, may we enjoy kingdom life, life as a citizen of his kingdom. Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us. Father in heaven, you are so good. When life is hard, you are good. When we struggle, you are good. Thank you, God, that you are with us always, no matter what the roller coaster of our lives look like, looks like right now, this past week or this coming week. May we rest in just knowing you are with us. May we rest on the truth of your goodness to us. And God, we thank you this morning that your word, the Bible, is a gift that draws us back to you. We, we thank you for the, the scriptures that you teach us through. We thank you for teaching us this morning. We thank you for even difficult passages in the Sermon on the Mount that, that cross-examine our hearts, that check our motives, that check our attitudes that cause us to ask, am I living for me or am I living for Jesus? Thank you, God, that your word confronts us and asks, at least gets us asking the question, are these values of the world around me or are these your values, Heavenly Father? Father in heaven, thank you for correction when we need it. Thank you for guidance. And most of all, Lord, we thank you this morning for Jesus. 
We thank you, God, that you did not leave us stuck in our sin and separated from you, but that you sent your son into the world to rescue us, to forgive us, to make a way for us to be with you in your family with an abundant and rich and meaningful life now and life eternal in your glorious presence. Father, would you help us not to just live simply in the now, focused on a kingdom of ourself, but would you help us and teach us and may we increasingly learn to live with an eternal perspective to see what you are doing in the world and how you want to work in and through us for our good and your glory. Teach us to not live for ourselves. Teach us to not wish to be master of our own life. Keep us from putting idols on the throne of our life where only you should be. As we give our gifts now, we do it out of joyful thanksgiving for your love for us, not out of guilt or, or being forced, but we give as an act of worship. As we lift our prayers, we do so to a Father who hears us and is near. We worship you as, as we pray, and as we lift our voices in song, may we do so as a hallway where the Spirit is active proclaiming your goodness, proclaiming Jesus as King and Master. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.